This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now what up? How y'all doing? Good, good, good. I'm good, I'm good. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, yo, y'all ain't know I'm good, right? So um, I'm going to dive right in because they said I'll be taking too long. So, um, <laughs> so we're in, we in Matthew chapter 7. You can go, this is, well, hold on. We gave our Bibles, right? Yeah, so Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. You can stand with me. That would be good. So we stand, we stand in acknowledgement of the authority of the God of Scripture. That's why we stand every single time when we're reading Scripture. This is not, not uh, our words, but His words. So we stand in, in reverence and in respect and honor of, of His authority. So it's verses 7 to 11. I'll read it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seeking, you will find. Knocking, it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask of him. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We ask that you will have your way inside the service today, Lord. That you will plant your word deep into the depths of our spirit, deep into our hearts, Lord, deep into our minds, Lord. That you will water it, that you will cause it to grow and bear fruit, Lord. We honor you and we give this service to you, Lord, and ask that you will have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. When reading scripture, you should always keep in mind the surrounding scriptures or other, other truths you've learned along the way, right? All those things are apart with you, are working with you inside of your mind and inside of your heart as you're reading scripture, even the ones that seem to, to, to contradict or spark confusion, they should stay inside of your mind, even if they seem to sort of cause some confusion inside your head. Because sometimes you can read a scripture that sort of says, seems like it says, turn left. And you're like, cool, we turn left. And then you read another scripture that seems like it says, turning right. Then you're like, okay, now I'm confused. Right? But at that moment, you should ask the hard question, how does this verse help me to understand the other verse? Because at the end of the day, no scripture, no verse contradicts any other verse inside the Bible. The Bible does not contradict itself. So we read it with that understanding that nothing inside here is going to contradict the other thing. So if I read something that seems like it does, let me dive into it a little bit more. Because we have this tendency, a tendency of, of, of when we see one verse that raises questions about another verse to just 
ignore one and gravitate towards the one that we think we understand a little bit more or, or we gravitate toward the one that seems to support our personal views more and skip over the other one. Instead of asking the question, how does one help me to understand the other? Because sometimes at the end of the day, you're locked on that, having to go this way, but then one that says for you to go that way, and at the end of the day, the understanding of both of them tells you to go this way. That's my, my mindset as I, I go into this verse. I go into this scripture, and, 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 and as I enter in, there's things that stand out to me along the way that, that seems like it seems like it contradicts or it seems like it raises these questions inside of my, my mind. Like you go into verse 7 and it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave was preaching through Matthew chapter 6. And a couple of verses that stand out to me is 31 through 32. In those verses it reads, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, Why shall we eat? Or, or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows what you need, knows that you need them all. It points out that, that your Father, God, already knows what you need. It points that out right there. It says, God already knows what you need. Now, I start thinking about this, and I think about it in the context of, of, of how would I act as a father that is all-knowing, all-powerful, and omnipresent. Like, like what if, if I was in God's position, right? Sometimes, sometimes we do that. Boy, if I was God, that's what I would do, right? It's <laughs> a good thing I ain't, boy. Things be jacked up, like, anyhow. But, but, it points that, 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 that God's already in control, right? And, and so I start to think, man, if I was, if I was all-knowing, if I, if I always knew in advance everything that my child needed, everything that they would need, right? Like, I know they're going to need food. I know they're going to need clothing. I know they're going to need shelter. Like, they don't have to say, Dad, please remember to stop at the supermarket this week because if we don't eat food, we may perish. They don't have to tell me that because I know if they don't eat food, they may perish. So I'm going to stop and I'm going to get some food. My wife may remind me to go get the food, but I know that, they need to go get that I need to go get some food. I need to buy them some, some cereal because it seems like they eat cereal and cereal and cereal and they're like, you thought it was a, f a phase and it gets worse, right? <laughs> so if I knew, right, if I always knew, if I always knew what my, my child always needed and always wanted all the time and I was always in the position to provide for it, right, they would hardly ever have to ask for anything. Because I already know that they're going to need this. I'm, I already know in advance that my, my kid is going to need this particular thing as their father, and I'm always in a position to provide that thing for them so they would hardly ever have to ask. 
Like, my daughter would come home from school and like, all right, Dad, I got this whole list of supplies I need for school. Check the kitchen table. I got them all and some, right? I would always just, just, just give them all the things that they need, right? And so I read this text, and I'm like, why does he tell us? Why is it on one hand, in the texts that we read before, in one hand, Jesus tells us how the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, they don't have to fret or work for anything. God just provides for them. But then encourages us that he already knows what we need. Like, God, God just provides for them. He already knows what you need. And then tells us to petition him for what we want, what we need, as opposed to just going through life, just knowing he's just going to give it to us. Like, for them, he always takes care of everything that they need. For you, you need to ask. And I start wondering, well, why? Why is it that? Because I'm thinking this out of my head, if he already knows everything, not just that he already knows everything, he already knows what he's going to do. I mean, you can even ask the question, if God already knows what we need and, and, and what he's going to do, then what's the need and purpose for prayer at all? Why even go there? He already knows what he's planning on doing. He already knows what I need. We're not informing him of a situation. We're not bringing something to his attention that he didn't realize that sort of snuck up while his back was turned. As a matter of fact, he already knows how he's going to respond. He already knows what course of action he's going to go. Yet still, Jesus tells us to ask, seek, and knock. But why? Why is that important? I think if we can answer this question, it'll help shape our hearts and our minds concerning prayer altogether. If we can understand the heart behind this, if we can understand why did Jesus tell us to do this, it'll, 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 it'll help shape and mold us when we think about prayer. It'll help guide us in what prayer should look like for us. You look at this text. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. You look at this text and you see this back and forth interaction between God and the man. Ask, I give. Seek, I expose. Knock, I open. And if you're seeing this right and if you're getting what's going on here because he's not telling you to ask because he he needs you to do it. What you see here is is Jesus, the son, encouraging his brothers and sisters regarding their relationship with their father. Everything is about relationship. This is why. Sometimes, Sometimes a child can miss the relational aspect between them and their parents because they only view their parents through the lenses of what you're supposed to do as a parent and miss the genuine desire and expression of relational love demonstrated through the parent serving the child. Not just somebody performing a job because that's just what you're supposed to do. 
If we look at God and, and treat God like that, we look at God, we will miss the beauty of his grace. If we just look at him just doing what you're supposed to do, you're the heavenly father, right? Why you ain't doing your job? We'll miss the whole understanding of what grace all is. He's not saying to ask because he's aloof of, of the need. He's saying to ask because of his desire for a relationship with you. We got to grasp that. He's saying, I desire a relationship. I see God, the Father, inspiring the Son. He, he, he says, tell them, tell them, ask. I will give. Tell them, seek. I will expose so they can find. Tell them to knock, and I'll open the door. I see a God that's already planning on giving, already planning on exposing, already planning on opening the door, and he invites us in on the process. I see a God that invites us to partner with him on his mission, on what he's already doing. A God that invites us to partner with him on his mission in our hearts by saying, pray. A God that invites us to partner with him on his mission in our marriages. A God that invites us to partner with him on his mission in our family, his mission in our city, his mission in our country, his mission in this world that we live in. And partnering starts with prayer, petitioning the Lord, asking, seeking, knocking. That's where the partnering starts at. I was at a meeting the other weekend, in the meeting on the, the keynote speaker was, 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 was Marty Caldwell. And he made a statement that was really, really stood out to me. He said, ministry and strategic plans without prayer is a supreme form of pride. Supreme form of pride. The idea that you're going to be missional-minded, the idea that you're diving in missionally inside your own relationship, the idea that you're diving in missionally inside your city that's not wrapped up and grounded in prayer is the supreme form of pride. Like, what arrogance. It acknowledges whose everything is. Constant prayer and petition acknowledges the authority of the God whom everything belongs to. It turns your heart there over and over again. That, that, that you are God's son or daughter. That, that your spouse is God's son or daughter. That your child or children is God's children. That it's God's city. His country. Sometimes we, we lose it and, and we start thinking it's more mine.
walking like this and understanding this walks in the truth of Psalms 24 and 1 where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. We start walking in, into this text, and it's talking, about, it's talking about prayer. It's talking about asking, seeking, and knocking. And, and there's some real challenges off, off the top when we start diving into this. Some real challenges concerning asking, seeking, and knocking. And how did this all look? Like, for instance, we start off the top. It says, asking it will be given. Now, for a lot of us, asking isn't that easy. It's a hard thing to ask for a lot of us. Because a lot of times we fear rejection. We fear the capital one God is going to come out and say No. We fear that God would not respond favorably to us. As a matter of fact, for a lot of us, we made it up inside of our minds and of our hearts. We don't even think we deserve it. So it becomes a challenge because, you see, we know what goes on inside of our hearts. We know areas of sin inside of our lives that nobody else knows, Right? And those things haunt us and plague our minds when we think about standing in front of our holy God in prayer. We judge ourselves and our own heart condemns us and tells us that we're guilty and undeserving of God's favor. And, and, and just the thought of petitioning a holy God who sees the depths of our sin deeper than we can, whose holiness exposes the reality of our sin, just the mere idea of petitioning him stifles us. Where we don't even think we deserve an audience with him, much less a favorable response. Like, no, 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 you don't know. I can't stand in front of him. I can't go to him in prayer. You don't know. If you knew some of the things that I did, if you knew some of the things that was inside of my mind, some of the things that was inside of my heart, you would understand why I can't go to him in prayer. We'd, we'd rather ask somebody else that, that, that we believe is in a position that's, that's more deserving of our audience with God than we are. That, that maybe they will be accepted and get a favorable response on our behalf. As we walk through this, I want to just, I want to linger here just for a bit. Because sometimes... That could be the thing that, that, that stumbles us, where we fall at, and where, where it's a hindrance when God says, ask, and you're like, nah. Right. Because once we start doing that, and we start thinking that, well, I need to tell this person to pray for me, because they may be in a better position, and God would listen to them before he would listen to me. God would accept them before he accepts me. What's happening at that time and moment, in our hearts, we, we nullify Christ's work on the cross. 
We make everything that he did as if it, it didn't happen. I don't understand. I don't know how much all of us inside here know about some of the Old Testament stuff and, and the temple and things like that, but I just want to linger here and walk through this real quick. Before Christ's work on the cross, people went to the temple to worship and sacrifice. Now, in the temple, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was, was the earthly dwelling place of God's presence. And there was this veil that separated it from the rest of the temple where men dwelt, where people were. Now, it signified that, that man was separated from God because of sin, and only the high priest was permitted to go beyond the veil into the presence of God. Now, the, the high priest would, would atone for the sins of God's people by killing and sacrificing an animal. When, when, when Christ went to the cross, he died on the cross. The moment that he died on the cross, at that moment, the veil in the temple ripped. It was the one thing that separated the holies of holies from the rest of the temple. The ripping of the veil signified that Christ had now become the sacrifice of sacrifices, atoning for the sins of all those that would ever believe in him. And it said that his sacrifice was sufficient enough to atone for all of our sins. No matter what it is, no matter how horrific you think it is, his sacrifice was sufficient enough to atone for it. Now Christ had, had, had become our high priest, offering up himself as the ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And the dwelling place of God now became the hearts of those that believed in him. It was no longer relegated to this, this room in a temple that was off limit to those with sin issues because Christ's sacrifice atoned for it. See, before people was afraid to go into the presence of God. Even when the high priest would go inside there, they would tie a rope on his ankle just in case God decided to smite him because he found sin inside of him. They would have to pull him back out of the presence. But Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 reads, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. See, the reality is this, none of us are deserving of an audience with him. None of us, not a one. None of us are, are deserving of his favor. None of us earned this. None of us is like, man, he earned that. None of us. That's why it's called grace. And we'll miss that. But when we act like we can't ask of our Heavenly Father because the sin in our hearts, but instead we need somebody else to ask for us, we are in effect communicating that Christ's sacrifice was insufficient. It wasn't good enough. 
We're treating that person that was sending on our behalf, we're treating him like the high priest. When Christ is our high priest. And that's not to say that we shouldn't ask others to pray for each for us. We do, we should, we need people to pray for us and with us. Sometimes it's just hard because you're so broken that you need somebody to intercede for you. You're so broken that you need someone to pray for you. The problem is when you think that God accepts them more than he accepts you. That's the problem. But we should definitely say, brother, pray for me, sister, pray for me. We should definitely go to the elders and and ask them to lay hands on us. We should definitely do those things. But I tell you now, God doesn't look at me and say, man, I accept you way more than I accept him. Another reason that it's difficult for, for many people to ask is that it means they have to admit the insufficiency. Right. Right. It means they have to admit their lack. It means that, that, that they have to admit the fact that they are not in control and for some people that scares the living daylights out of them. The idea of not being in control of things and having to go and ask somebody, ask God to do something. You like to be some way, shape, or form in control, and God renders you helpless by putting you in situations where if you don't ask, this is going to go down. And he'll let it hit the ground, and he'll let it shatter, knowing that he'll be right there to put it all back together once you realize why it shattered. We have to humble ourselves and confront our pride in asking. In verse 7 it says, ask and it will be given to you. And in the 8 it says, for everyone who asks receives. Now those are big statements, right? Ask and it will be given. And for everyone that asks, they'll receive. It's real easy to look at this text and think, well, well, whatever we want, all we have to do is pray and we'll get it, whatever it is. I mean, there are some people out there that will preach that. But go ahead, let them preach it, right? You go ahead and you believe it. Sooner or later, you realize that wasn't as true as you thought it was, right? Like, you'll be real and you'll be like, man, but I remember praying for this particular thing right here and it never came to pass. I remember praying for God to do this, and he didn't do it. I remember praying and asking and seeking and not receiving. Eventually, you'll start wondering what in the world is going on. Because you'll start thinking about those moments. You'll ask the question, what happened? Why? If it was that simple, just ask, and I'm going to receive. And then I'm not receiving, then why? What does it mean when that happens? Here's some of the things that I've heard. I've heard, well, when that happens, it means that you just didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe hard enough. And if you would have had enough faith, it would have happened. 
And I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to make more faith come out, but. <laughs> faith doesn't come out. <laughs> well, I've heard, well, probably it's because there's some, some issues inside of your life that probably you didn't realize, and, and God can't hear your prayers because of the issues inside of your life. So you're like searching, like, what is it? I mean, I haven't heard the story of a guy told someone that the reason why God wasn't hearing it is because he had dolphins inside of his house, like um, figurines, and that dolphins represented something else, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, well, how stupid is that? But on the real, I had a friend of mine, even before I got saved, that was talking to me on why he wasn't saved. He used to be a Christian. He was going through, and when we was kids, and he was talking how he remember going through this really, really traumatic situation, this really tough time, and he was asking God to change things, asking God to deliver, asking God to work, to do this thing. He remembered doing it, and God didn't do anything in it. God didn't change the situation. I won't say he didn't do anything. He didn't realize what God was doing. God didn't change the situation, though. And what that equated to him was that God wasn't real. A good verse to help us to understand what's going on and help us to understand the context here is James chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. Now, the section of that, that that speaks right inside here, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Basically, what he's saying is, you do not have because you do not ask, and when you do ask, you don't even ask for the right things. This is the issue here. You do not have because you do not ask. That's for some of those people that have these, these issues with asking, whether it's issues with dealing with pride and humbling themselves or issues with feeling accepted so they don't want to ask. But then you have the other people like, but then when you ask, you don't even ask for the right things. You don't ask for the right things. So what are the right things? If we're going to go that way, then what are the right things then? Matthew 6 and 34 says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The right things is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it look like to seek and ask for the kingdom of God in the midst of the situation? When you're praying for that particular thing, what does it look like to ask for that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. A kingdom is a place where the will of the king is exercised. What does it look like for that thing that you're asking for, that thing that you're going deep and praying about, that the way that you're asking is, Lord, what is your will? Not just do this for me. What we should be asking for is the will of our king in our situation. 
We should be asking about what reflects Jesus as king and builds his kingdom in this situation, Lord. How does it look like for me to serve you as king right here, Lord? I don't know what's going on. Things that haywires. How does it look for, Lord, for me to serve you as king right here? What does it look like to walk and live as a resident of your kingdom right here? What does it look like to see your kingdom displayed right here? We're busy asking for things that builds our kingdom. And God is like, nah, you should be asking for what builds my kingdom. You have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask for the wrong things. Father, show me how to serve you as king in my marriage. Father, show me how to serve you as king in my family, Father. Show me how to serve you as king at my job. Show me how to serve you as king in this particular situation in my life. Show me how to serve you as king in my city. Show me how to reflect your kingdom. So you put things in perspectives here. Here's the right things to ask. And we're, now, now that we're asking the right things because we're asking for his will, because we're praying for the display of his kingdom, sometimes he speaks to you and he gives you the answer right off the top. But oftentimes, he likes to draw the answer out and put you in a position to exercise the faith you had in asking by calling you to seek him, by calling you to search for him, by, by, by not giving you the answer right away. Instead of giving you the answer that right here, he takes and he draws you around a scenic route because of all the things he want to teach you along the way. No, man, you were just looking for this answer right here. And God, I'm going to give you that. Trust me, but I'm going to take you this way. You're going to have that and plus all these other things too. Let me lead you through this. I'm not going to answer you right away. But you're going to trust me and you're going to walk with me through it. When you get to the answer, you're going to have way more than what you was looking for. As a matter of fact, you realize that you were really looking for something, for more things, but didn't even know how to ask for it. He's exercising our faith in him. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seeks after him. King James says he rewards those that diligently seeks him. So what does it look like to diligently seek God? Part of it is prayer. Part of it is, is, is faithfully studying scripture and reading books that open up scripture to you and point you back to scripture. Part of it is seeking the counsel of, of godly men that will point you back to the gospel over and over and over again. This is all part of the process of seeking God. These are some of the, the active ways of, of, of seeking God 
what he's extending his promises to when he says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. These are some of the things he's talking about where he's promising when our asking and seeking is put in the right context. Knock and the door shall be opened. I remember growing up in my mother's house. She, it's like the rest of the house was okay, but her room was like, like immaculate, right? But we weren't allowed to go inside her room freely. Like, like whenever she would leave, she would lock the doors, right? Like, you can't go in my room. But she, she didn't know that, I, like, I had them skills, right? <laughs> so I would, I would be up inside the room, chilling on her bed and stuff, watching TV, like, yeah. But I always try to make the sheets real quick so that she wouldn't realize I was chilling inside the room and she'd come back and say, who's in my room? One of the things that she does, she does that, what happens is that I start to, to, to look at her room and it's a special place, but it was off limits to me. When I got married and I started living inside of my home, I was like, well, it's my turn now. And I don't want them raggedy kids running up and down inside my room. They better calm their tails down. But my wife, she was on some old different next. She like always like, it was like, it wasn't even like it was my room no more. It was like our room, me and all the kids, right? And I was like, yo, babe, can you not kick them out like sometimes? And she's like, listen, I want them to feel that there was always access to us. I want them to feel this access, this open door, that, this, that we are never off limits to them. When he says, knocking the door shall be open, what he's saying that I want you to realize that the access to me is always there. The door to me is always open. He wants you to realize that. In verse 11, he says, if, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask of him? And if we're going to grasp that, like all this thing that he's building up, all this direction that he's taking to us, taking us through, is, is the point that he wants to give something to us. He wants to give this good gift to us. And the question is then, what is that gift? If he's going to take it this whole way, what is it that he wants to give to us? And we were going to grasp that. We have to look at Luke. Chapter 11, verse 13, and it says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? If we're going to understand what God is doing here, he's saying, listen, I want to give you this ultimate good gift, and it's me. I want to live inside of your heart. I want to live inside of your mind. I want to place my spirit inside of you. Yes. If you're going to talk about understanding the will of God, where well, he's the spirit of God, now understand the wills of the Father, because he searches the Father yes. and dwells in you at the exact same time. I want to encourage us today as we get ready to, to close. God spends this time talking to us and he compares earthly fathers, 
earthly parents to spiritual parents. He leaves these holes, these pockets of brokenness in our parents intentionally so that, so that in comparison to God, our Father, we would say, how much small soul? So that the brokenness that, that we've seen in our parents or that our kids have seen in us will lead us all to seek for the complete wholeness that, that, that's found in God the Father. Yeah. It's to constantly turn us back to him. As we get ready to pray today, I want you to know and understand through this entire thing that God is showing you that he is where our hope is at. He is our, our hope. He is our king. He compares parents because he wants us to always be able to turn to him as our earthly parents. And that we were never meant to see and look at our own parents without looking at them through the lens of God who fills in the cracks and fills in the gaps. He uses that brokenness to point them to him. I want to pray. God, we thank you for how good you are, Lord. We thank you for constantly displaying your goodness, constantly loving us, constantly showing us what your will is, Lord. Building up hope inside of us that rests in you and only you, not our works, Lord. We thank you for your grace this morning, Lord. As we pray and we ask and we seek and we knock, Lord, knowing that you are always there, knowing that it's your desire and will to give to us the good things when our good things are rooted in seeking you. I ask that you'll continue to work inside of us and continue to glorify yourself in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. The tables are open. As you come up and you take communion today, I pray that you take your cup, you take that bread, and that you sit down and you pray. You ask God to show you his spirit. Ask God to show you his will. Ask God to live inside of you and fill you with his spirit that you will trust him. The tables are open. Let's sup together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.